you need to know four things. What are their needs? What are my needs? Have I been meeting their needs? And have I been asking for what I need? Those four things. And if any of of your answers to those questions is a no, it's not time to leave. You need to figure that out first. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Jillian Tarecki. Jillian is a certified relationship coach. She's a teacher and writer who for 20 years has taught others how to transform their relationships with themselves. She is also the host of the popular podcast, Jillian on Love. Today, we talk about why it's important to reflect on past relationship patterns and how to communicate them effectively to a potential partner. We also dive deep into how to find love and how to attract, build, and maintain a healthy relationship. We also get into the four questions you must ask yourself before exiting a relationship, how to heal from a breakup, and more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Jillian Tarecki to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Jillian, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Doug. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited to chat with you. And I think a good place for us to start is I've heard you talk about the secret to finding the right partner, to having a healthy relationship, to even having a successful marriage is really getting to know yourself. Like there's a lot of importance in that. So let's start there. Like what are a few things that somebody needs to do or somebody can do so that they can get to know themselves and have successful romantic relationships? I think it starts with knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are, particularly when it comes to being in a romantic relationship. So for example, if you're someone who gets very anxious or you tend to get you know, avoidant or you're someone who fears closeness or you're someone who really craves closeness because you didn't have a good relationship with dad growing up, you have a lot of abandonment stuff, or with mom growing up, you have a lot of abandonment stuff. So I think it's really about understanding what it is that you've been through and the ways in which what you've been through come out or have historically come out when you've been in a romantic relationship. What are the things that, the choices that you've made, the behaviors that you've had, the patterns that you've had that haven't served you? And so understanding yourself is first having the awareness of the patterns that you have that have not served you, but it's also understanding the ways in which you really thrive in a relationship or you thrive as a partner or you are a great partner. So I think it begins with that because look, you know, we are all humans trying to do the best that we can and we will all act out in our relationships from time to time and we'll have our little adult temper tantrums from time to time. And that's just sort of the way it goes. And we all, none of us want to be left. None of us want to be rejected. None of us want to be abandoned. So we're all in the same predicament. But understanding and knowing what your patterns are while having a commitment to change and break those patterns and the ways in which you need to do that, whether it's therapy, whether it's coaching, whether it's reading books, whether it's the retreat, whatever it is. And then also knowing what it is that you want and need. You know, if you've been through, if you've had a really rough go in life, you might need 
something in a partner that you wouldn't necessarily romanticize or think of right away. You know, you might need a certain degree of safety and security in a relationship. So I'll start with that, see where that takes us. (laughs) So where do you think that ranks in the list of priorities? Because we hear a lot that obviously physical attraction plays a, a certain role. Obviously having the same values, the same beliefs, the same goals, like wanting the same thing in the context of a relationship is super important. Where does the importance of being with somebody who understands your past traumas, understands your past patterns, understands like where you're at from a relational standpoint, like like where does that rank on the hierarchy of relationship needs? Well, I think it depends on the kind of relationship that you want. So if you want a committed long-term relationship, you know, if you if you're looking for just having an adventure and an affair with someone, none of it really matters except for chemistry and attraction. But if you actually want a relationship that's committed, then I think it's very important that you understand each other's past and traumas. It's not a pass. You don't get a hall pass for treating someone badly or for behaving badly in a relationship because you've been through trauma. But I think that there should be transparent conversations about, look, this is what I went through. This is what I struggle with. This is what I'm working on. I'm committed to really owning my part when I mess up. And when I mess up, please let me know and hold me accountable. That's next level. And that's not what a lot of people do, but it is really next level. We all come to a relationship with baggage. We just do. We all have our stuff. We all have our flaws. You know, we are all dealing with something. And to expect that you're going to meet someone who's going to be the representation of who you believed your parent should have been, which is flawless and perfect and a protector and a healer and a lover and all of like a loved one and all not and all of that. Guess what? You're in for a rude awakening. You are a flawed individual. You're going to meet another flawed individual. It's really just a matter of, well, first of all, some people are more flawed than others. And that's just the reality. They just are. If you're someone who works on yourself and you have a value where self-awareness is important to you and you meet someone and they're just treating people a certain way and they have no self-awareness, that's going to be a problem. So I think it's pretty high up. You should know what you all come to the table with so that you can decide if it's right for you. This is a good opportunity to segue into something else I wanted to chat with you about. It's like, like, where do you draw the line where, you know, there's certain people that will they'll continue to just heal every single day for months and years and even decades. And they're constantly working on themselves or constantly like looking into their past just to see like, what was it about that that caused something today? And I think that there's obviously some level of importance to that. But like, where do you draw a line to know that that becomes like, to a certain point, like unhealthy and that maybe you should, you know, take that next step into maybe trying to work through, develop new healthy relationship patterns with a potential new partner? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it's basically falls under the umbrella of analysis paralysis. You know, you're constantly working on yourself. You're constantly trying to do better. That is actually part of a pattern that's very consistent with perfectionism. And it's also very consistent with feeling like not enough. It's like you're trying to figure out why you maybe, for example, tolerated something or repeatedly tolerated 
bad behavior from partners. And so now you're like stuck in this healing process because you are so, it's fear. You're so afraid. You don't trust yourself. I mean, that's ultimately what happens is that people get stuck in a pattern of perfectionism, which is just the same programming that they are trying to heal themselves of paradoxically, which tells them I have to be 100% healed to be ready for a relationship. And then the second part is this thing that happens to us where we don't trust ourselves. And so we're so afraid to put ourselves out there because we don't trust ourselves. It's hard to say, you know, because for everyone it's different, but there's sort of, let's just say you're someone who's had a string of relationships that not only didn't last, but were painful or unhealthy, or you're noticing a pattern. And then that person has this sort of aha moment where they say to themselves, wow, the common denominator is me. I'm the problem. So I have to work on myself. And so maybe that person hires a therapist. Maybe they hire a coach. Maybe they do a bunch of online courses. Maybe they begin a meditation practice or hire a meditation teacher. Maybe it's all of the above, right? Depending on their resources. So they start to do that. Because what has happened is that what they are able to acknowledge is that they are not connected to themselves. They've lost themselves in these relationships. And so they feel very fragmented. There's a void inside that's vast that they're looking into. So they say, okay, I need to figure out how to fill this void myself, right? So I'm going to go down this path to try to rediscover myself capital S, like the self that lives inside of me. And so there's, you're trying to reclaim yourself. You're trying to reclaim your power, find yourself. And then we get to a point where, and this is sort of phase two, where it's like, okay, now it's time to lose yourself again. And it doesn't mean lose yourself in the way that you did in the beginning or in the past, I should say, but you have to then now get step out of yourself, join, you know, another person, and learn further your healing through practice because there's only so much studying we can do. At some point, we actually have to put things into practice and we have to face our fears of being hurt again. We have to face our fears of not being enough. We have to face our fears of not losing ourselves because it's how we respond to these fears while we're in a relationship that is reflective of the growth and of the progress. And so people get very, very trapped in the healing phase because they're terrified. I mean, if you peel away the onion far enough, what you will find is just the same fear that's been motivating them all along, which has been the fear of not being enough and the fear that they just won't be loved. So where is that line? It really depends on the person. It depends on how dysfunctional they are and have been, how much pain they've caused to themselves and to others. So I can't say that it's, you know, where I would draw, there are some people I work with and they think they get out of a relationship and they're like, I have to work on myself. And I say, no, you actually have to jump right back into another relationship. There are some people I say that to. Most people say, yes, you need a timeout and you need to work on yourself. But there's this theme in the current pop psychology zeitgeist right now that's saying you have to take all this time to work on yourself. 
For some people, working on themselves is getting in another relationship and getting into another relationship quickly because their pattern is to mourn over someone who's not worth mourning over for years. And that's their pattern. They get stuck in that. So it, I, it's so case dependent. We live in a world where it's two extremes, right? You have the one side that's like there's people that just constantly jump from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, which is, which is super unhealthy at times, right? Except for like the cases that you just explained. Well, it's never a good idea to just jump and jump and jump without any self-reflection. You have to have some self-reflection. It's just that it doesn't have to be years. And then there's the other side, though, that just they're just constantly healing. You know, I got to heal. I got to wait till I'm like got this perfect like little my perfect healing journey complete before I jump into another relationship. And we're gonna talk about self-trust and how to rebuild trust with yourself because I think that's an important topic. But I wanna kind of put a bow on what we were just discussing in that let's just say that somebody has put themselves out there in the dating world again. They've met somebody that they have a lot in common with, that they're attracted to, that they could potentially see a relationship with. It can be challenging, I think, for a lot of people to have difficult conversations with somebody they really don't know that well and they have this fear of rejection and getting hurt. Like, how do you guide your clients to open up and share about their past, you know, relationship patterns and traumas and insecurities in a way that can, you know, allow them to move that relationship forward. I don't believe in, you know, telling someone you just met everything about your past right off the bat. Usually when people do that, that's coming from a place of fear and insecurity. But I think that as you get to know someone and as things are progressing, you share a little bit more about yourself. I advise the people who I work with to be really transparent, but the first step is being comfortable with your past. You have to be comfortable enough with your past to be able to share it. And what I mean by that, it's not like you wanna go back to the past, but you accept the fact this is part of what I've been through, this is part of what I struggle with, and, and this is it. This is what I struggle with. And I think it's a lovely conversation to have. And I think that people, I would love people to actually, I encourage people to have more of those types of conversations with each other. The thing that I see though, that, and this might steer the conversation in a particular direction, but people are having these intimate conversations with a date. And then that person will come to me with the expectation that now they're in a relationship with this person because they've had these sort of open conversations. And it's interesting, there are certain people who are who can go there and have those conversations, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna be in a relationship with them. So it's twofold. One is, I wouldn't wanna be, and nor would I advise anyone who I'm working with to start, embark on, commit to, and invest in a relationship with someone who does not accept you for who you are. And that includes the struggles that you've been through. So I, I'm all for having these conversations. It just doesn't have to be date one. Like the first couple of dates, build rapport. See if you have a good time together. See if you are on the same page in terms of what it is that you like to do and what you want in life. It doesn't have to be constantly talking about, you know, trauma. But yes, it's, an impor it's important to bring it up. Right. And so taking it like one step further, I would imagine that having these hard conversations, having deep you know, meaningful chats with somebody that you're interested in can help build some 
level of emotional connection. And I think oftentimes connection and chemistry get confused and mixed up. And I think they're pretty different. So in your opinion, like, like how does somebody know they actually have true emotional connection and it's not just chemistry? If you suffer from digestive issues like gas, bloating, cramping, even when you're eating healthy, nutritious foods, then you could probably benefit from a high quality enzyme. If you've never tried enzymes, or even if you've tried and they haven't worked, I want you to give this one a chance. As you know, I'm a big fan of the company Bioptimizers. They are one of the few supplement companies who have the best formulations and use the highest quality ingredients and their products work. I asked them if we could organize a great deal for all of my listeners and they over-delivered. Right now, you can get a bottle of Mazimes for free. All you need to do is pay a small shipping fee and there's no catch. There's no tricks, no forced continuity, and nothing to cancel. They are so confident in their products that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee, so I'm positive you'll be satisfied with the results. Mazimes is a 17-enzyme full-spectrum formula, plus it contains all the key enzymes needed for optimal digestion. So many individuals suffer from digestive issues because any protein your body doesn't break down can lead to digestive distress, gas, bloating, and constipation. Mazimes can help ensure that all the protein that you consume breaks down into absorbable amino acids. So I strongly suggest that you head on over to their site to grab your bottle before they either run out or take down this offer. Go to mazimes.com slash Doug Free. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash Doug Free, which is all one word. And you will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. Limit one per household. Offer is valid while supplies last. You're going to love their products. So go now. Now let's get back to the show. Chemistry is important, but if you're someone who's always had chemistry with people who are bad for you, then chemistry is extremely unreliable. So it depends on the person. I think that chemistry that builds over time is really what you want to have happen. Meaning like there's chemistry, there's rapport, there's some attraction when you first meet. And then every date that you have after that, every time that you hang out, there's even more because if the chemistry can build when you're finding that there is mental connection, you know, intellectual connection, emotional connection, and then you're finding like that chemistry, that attraction builds as a result of all those other things coming into place. That's the goal. That's really, really what you want. That doesn't mean you have to have some sort of, you know, physical attraction. That doesn't mean that you're on a date with someone who you find really like not attractive at all. And then you're like, okay, well, we get along. So now I'm attracted. No, but that you want it to build over time versus because what happens is this when the chemistry is so overpowering whether we can admit to this or not, this is what happens every single time. They can be saying things that really don't align with what it is that you really like. They could be saying things that you might not even like at all, but you excuse it because the chemistry is so strong. And that's where you're like, oh, we don't share this really important value. It's okay. So you start justifying it. Someone, you know, someone recently wrote into me saying, I have a zero tolerance for drugs and alcohol. I grew up in an alcoholic family and I don't have that in my life. I don't want that in a partnership. Well, she's dating someone who smokes weed every day, all day. 
you know, because we have we have a really strong connection and everyone's telling me, well, weed's not such a big deal and it's basically legal and blah, blah. So it's amazing how in one sentence, I have a zero tolerance for drugs and in the exact same sentences, I'm starting to see someone who smokes weed every day, all day long. I want to touch on that really quick because this was something that came in from one of the questions from the audience when I mentioned I was talking to you. And this is a great, I think a great time to talk about it is like, how do we sometimes separate our heads from our hearts? Because I think what you're describing is a perfect example. Like this person's head is like, no, 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 no. But once they start to build some chemistry, the heart is like, yes, 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 yes. So using that as a, a great example, like how can somebody separate their head from their heart? This is the great conundrum because love is an irrational emotion. It's completely irrational. And, you know, when I'm working with people who love someone who's absolutely terrible for them, you know, it's like on the one hand, you want to shake them out of it. But on the other hand, you have to have some compassion because once you love someone, it's very, very hard. So this is about getting wiser. It's about learning so that's why I think that values and lifestyle and things like that should be discussed very early on, which is like, because your heart, you can separate your heart from chemistry. You can be really attracted to someone, but that's not your heart. After date one, you don't love someone after date one. You could be wildly attracted to them, which could be a problem for a lot of people. But talk about that stuff very early on. First date, I have a zero tolerance for drugs. Do you engage? And someone might lie and you never know. People can really lie and say, oh yeah, I don't do drugs and whatever. But you know, I think it's about knowing what your deal breakers are and being very, very loyal to them. And I'm not going to lie. It takes a lot of mental strength, but it also means like, look, we're going to learn the hard way. But at some point, I don't think people should have a laundry list of things that they don't want. I think that they should have a few things that are really, really important to them and a longer list of things that they're willing to tolerate, <laughs> honestly, because that's just the reality. But those few things that you list that you really, really need or you will not tolerate, they have to be no matter what. They have to be no matter what. And I think a lot of this comes back to feeling secure, having a high level of self-awareness, self-worth, self-trust. And I know at the beginning we touched on like how to get to know yourself as far as where you stand with relationships. I want I think this is a good time to kind of dive into like what are some things that, that somebody can do to practice self-trust within themselves, to rebuild their sense of self, self-worth, so that when they're in situations like this, it gives them a better chance to walk away instead of being in a position where they're like feeling insecure and they're using love or relationship to fill that void. So I'll give you a few things that they can do. Number one, get out of your head and go do something. Help someone, put your energy into your community, put your energy into your work, put your energy into something outside of yourself. So contribute in some way. There, I think that is the fastest way to get out of your head. It is a really fast way to build self-esteem. It's also a way to build self-confidence, trust in yourself, all of that. So get out of the analysis paralysis, stop thinking, you know, because just to circle back, the constant working on yourself is the constant obsession of oneself. And that's not a diss. I'm not putting anyone down. I've been in that too, you know, but we have to watch it. We have to watch being constantly obsessed with ourselves because really the greatest, the greatest form of personal development is giving to something or someone outside of yourself. And that is just the bottom 
line. It's a fact. And then another thing that you can do is meditate. I think meditation is one of the most powerful practices to connecting to the part of yourself that is not scared, to the part of yourself that is not fearful, to the part of yourself that's not feeling worthless. When you meditate, and this doesn't happen overnight, this really is something you have to practice. It's the same thing, like if you want to transform your body, you know, lifting weights one day is not going to do it. Like it has to be consistent, but you learn to connect to the wiser part of yourself, that sort of primordial wisdom that resides in every single one of us beneath the ego. So that's another way. For some people, because I really don't believe there's one size fits all except for, you know, giving outside of yourself and meditation, but some people, they need to spend more time with friends. They need to build their community a little bit more. Some people, they need to spend more time in nature. Some people need to make up with their parents. <laughs> Some people need to reconnect with their sibling. Some people need to spend some time alone. So I really try to advise that specifically for the individual. But yeah, those are some things to start right away. It's such great points because it's it's so important to not fall into that trap of either consistently being in that healing journey and not really, you know, putting yourself out there to co-regulate with other people and then also being on the other side where, you know, you're not building your self-esteem at all and you're not doing any kind of work and you're just kind of bouncing from relationship to relationship or and using love and relationships to fill a void. I want to talk about some keys to a healthy relationship and some that that often get overlooked. So obviously like communication, dealing with conflict, having common beliefs, like all those things I would imagine that most people understand are very important for a relationship to succeed. One of the things I, I've heard you talk about is the importance to be able to co-regulate with one another and the importance of that. So talk about why it's so important and why that's different than being codependent and what are some ways that people who are in relationships can learn to co-regulate. You can't co-regulate with someone who's always blaming or they're always blaming you. You can only co-regulate with someone who you feel safe with. So I think that the number one key to a healthy relationship is that both people feel safe with one another, emotionally and obviously physically. Part of what provides that safety to each other is having that open communication, but also having this mindset, if you will, of, or this commitment to, when you're in pain, I listen. Now that doesn't mean I listen every time you're just complaining to me about me. <laughs> But when you are hurt, I listen, whether it's hurt about me, whether it's hurt about something that someone else said to you. And so co-regulating is basically, a lot of it is how you deal with conflict. It's basically like you see your partner is dysregulated, their nervous system is a bit off for whatever reason, and you are able to help them find their breath again, be a steady a steady force for them in that moment, a steady presence for them in that moment. Sometimes it means co-regulation sometimes means, oh, I need to get my partner out of their head. So I'm going to make them laugh, right? It doesn't always have to be so serious. I'm going to be goofy with them. What I'm about to say, I am admitting is really, really hard. But if we can practice when two people 
when they're completely dysregulated and blaming each other, right? That's basically a fight. Two people dysregulating, blaming each other. What's a toxic relationship? It's that's the norm of the relationship, basically. When they're doing that, it's almost like they're unconsciously competing for who's the most dysregulated in that moment. It just takes one person, one of them to step out and be like, okay, let's calm down now. Let's bring this back to earth. And so that's really what co-regulation is. It's being able to be aware of your partner's nervous system when their nervous system is off, to be aware of their energy, to then not be reactive are reacting constantly to their energy, but instead be like, I don't have to react to their energy. I can actually be, be the opposite of their energy right now and help them soothe and calm down. This is like next level relationship skills, but it's very, very important. I recently had a conversation with a, with a friend of mine who's a very, very, very self-aware individual meditator, coach, all of that. And she said, you know, and she's, going through a little bit of a rough patch with her husband, but they're very committed to one another. But she said, I realized I had this, I had this breakthrough where like part of our problem is that like, if he's reactive to something, I'm just taking it personally. I'm reacting to his reaction constantly. Instead, I can just, I could soothe him in that moment. I could tell him, babe, it's no big deal. It's all good. I hear you. And when I do that, it's like he immediately relaxes. Then he becomes the man who I always wanted him to be. So that is a really great example of what I'm trying to say and what co-regulation is. I love that. And I think people have a hard time developing like self-awareness around that, meaning there's a lot of people that are in these types of relationships and that's just become their normal, right? How does somebody know if that's like the pattern that they're continuously stuck in if they don't have the opportunity to speak to somebody like yourself? Well, it's hard because, you know, some people in some families, fighting is actually very normal because it's really important to understand the family culture. And I'm not talking about race culture. I'm just talking about the ethos of a family and how you're raised. Like some people, they'll go over to their partner's family's house and everyone's loud and that person is like, wow, your family fights all the time. And their partner is like, what are you talking about? This is how we show love. This isn't fighting. Then the opposite is true. They go, the other one goes into the other families. They're like, wow, everyone's so quiet. No one really talks about anything. And their partner's like, what do you mean? This is just the vibe. This is how we are. So I mention that because I think it's important and not everything is black and white. So some people, some couples will get into a lot of fighting and arguments because that's just like how they learn, like it's no big deal, right? It's like they get over it quickly, they they yell at each other and then they're done and then everything is fine. But someone looking in might say, oh, that's a toxic relationship, who says? But what I think you're referring to is just like when you're in something, you're constantly fighting, you constantly feel dysregulated, you feel unhappy and unfulfilled, that's how you know. When you're unhappy, stressed out, your nervous system feels wrecked and you feel unsafe, unseen, you know something is wrong. You just do. But changing it is the hard part. Knowing that something is wrong is not the hard part. It's, how, it's changing it. That's what we struggle with. 
let's talk about changing it a little bit because I think what you mentioned is very, very common for people and it goes one of two ways. It goes the way, like you mentioned before, where people are just constantly fighting and fighting and fighting and then they make up, they fight, they make up, they fight and that becomes like a pattern where sometimes, in many cases, people are super unhappy and unfulfilled. And then on the other side of that, nobody says anything and stuff gets swept under the rug and then a lot of resentment builds and that can blow up on its own. So what can people do if they're trying to have like hard conversations with their partner, whether they're in the midst of conflict or whether they're just trying to share something that's bothering them about their relationship? So it depends. So if you're someone and you're like, okay, like I have all this resentment and, you know, I feel so angry, but I want this relationship to work or whatnot. The first thing that someone has to do is get in touch with their resentment and understand that their resentment often has very little to do with their partner. It has to do with you not speaking up on behalf of yourself inside of a relationship. So one of our biggest responsibilities as a person in partnership is to be very, very diligent about preventing resentment from taking hold of you. Because as soon as you are resentful, you poison the relationship and you poison yourself. So it's really important not to be resentful, but we do, we get there. So the first thing is just to say, okay, this is my responsibility. What have I not been saying that I have really needed to say? And then you build the courage to say it because the elephant in the room needs to be called out. It needs to be named and it needs to be like kicked out of the room. And then you say it in such a way that doesn't put the person on the defensive. You don't automatically blame them. You never do this. You always do this. Like you need to ground yourself and literally say, I have been not saying something that I need for a really long time. And that's not your fault. That's my fault. That's my responsibility. But I noticed that I'm like really frustrated. And so can we have a talk about it? And that's an opportunity to have the conversation. Look, I'm giving you sort of the Reader's Digest version. I mean, there are some people who have been married or in partnership for 20 years, and there's layers and layers and layers to that resentment that needs to be peeled away with the help of a third party. If you're in that kind of situation where it's just so layered, it's very difficult to do that on your own. That's why there are third party help that exists. Right. And I'm not expecting this episode to like save anyone's like marriage or relationship, so to speak. I just hope that it opens people's eyes. But you never know. Yeah, it could, right? Yeah, you never know. But hopefully it, you know, it opens people's eyes to say, wow, like maybe I should take a look into this or maybe I need to do better. And then be proactive about like setting up, you know, more check-ins with your spouse or your partner, whoever it is, to make sure that you guys are on the on the same page with everything. One of the questions that came through as well, which is, I guess, probably the next phase of what we're talking about is let's just say somebody's not happy in a relationship. They, they talk to their partner. They want to try and make it work. And they're expressing their concerns and, and that sort of thing. And, they, and the, part, the other partner isn't interested in changing, but wants to kind of just stick around in the relationship. And we see this a lot. Like, how does somebody know when it's time to just walk away? It's funny. I, I think that is the question that I get the most. When is it time to walk away? I think that if you are in a long-term partnership or just a partnership that you care about, that you've invested a lot of your time and energy into, it me it's meaningful to you. You don't walk away until you take full responsibility for your part. 
and that you see, you need to know four things. What are their needs? What are my needs? Have I been meeting their needs? And have I been asking for what I need? Those four things. And if any of, the, of your answers to those questions is a no, it's not time to leave. You need to figure that out first. You need to, because people don't end relationships where their needs are being met. And when I mean by needs, I'm talking about their need to feel loved, their need to feel like they matter, their needs for security, their needs, their sexual needs, their needs for just life in general. They don't walk away from each other if their needs are being met. So we have to always ask ourselves, how have I been as a partner? Not just how are they as a partner? So that's number one. Number two, you also know when it's time to leave, when at some point they're just, sometimes we work really hard to make something that isn't right work because we're afraid to be alone, because we're afraid to fail. We're afraid to be that person a divorced person. We're afraid to give up. All our identity gets wrapped up sometimes in a relationship. And so if it ends, people will then internalize that and think of themselves as a failure. So they stay in something that's clearly not right. Not right because you just want two different things. Your natures are not aligned. What you want out of life, it doesn't align. So sometimes it's time to walk away because as painful as it is, you just know it's not right and that you can't lie to yourself anymore. Obviously, it's always you have to always walk away from someone who mistreats you and abuses you in any way, shape, or form. So that's how you know. Yeah, and it's uh, there's so much nuance to that question too because if there's kids involved that changes a lot of things right if of course money financial dependence yeah all of that exactly so it's easier i said than done and breakups suck i mean no matter how you spin it breakups are very challenging no matter if you're the one who gets broken up with or you do the breaking up i mean just cutting that tie is is very very hard and that's why a lot of people end up going back into a relationship that didn't serve them because that tie is so hard to cut. So as far as like dealing with a breakup, let's just say that somebody just went through a breakup and they're trying to figure out what can they do to make the most of it so that it doesn't completely crush them for months and years and so on and so forth. What advice would you have for someone like that? You have to grieve when a relationship ends, particularly if it was one that there was a lot of there was a strong bond and a strong attachment, it's a death. It's the death of a relationship. That person is no longer in your life. It's the death of a dream. So you really do have to give yourself some grace and allow yourself to grieve that person. You might have to go into therapy to help you grieve. And as you grieve, and this is, I just did a, an episode on my podcast on heartbreak and moving on where I go deep into the five stages of grieving. But during that process over time, you learn to process and you want to, you know, ultimately what you want to eventually arrive to is an understanding of your part and as well, an understanding of their part, you know, just having some insight into it. Because what people do is that they go back and forth between blaming themselves and blaming the other person. And Eventually, what you really want to arrive at is, oh, it just, 
it was what it was like it had to be like we did this was where we this was the level of consciousness that i was at at that time this is what i was capable of and and no one likes to hear this but figure out what the lesson is like are you like are you going to look at that breakup and give it a meaning that it means that like you suck and you're not worthy and you're not lovable or all men suck or all women suck or are you going to be like no like i clearly had a lot to learn and I'm going to learn the lesson. I think having that mentality and that approach is so important with with all things that people go through in life that, you know, quote unquote, this is happening for me mentality. And what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? You know, take time to acknowledge and accept the situation as it happens, but also take some time to self-reflect and understand like how that can help you grow as a person. One of the things that comes to mind is I was having a conversation with somebody a few years ago who had been had been really hurt in a relationship and they were afraid to put themselves out there again. One of the things I said was, you know, listen, like it's really painful where you're at right now. And you're worried about experiencing some level of pain of putting yourself out there and getting rejected. But would you rather be rejected by somebody else, but you at least put yourself out there to believe that you were worthy of, you know, finding another person again? I just think perspective in that is everything. It's everything. It really is. But first, you got to lick your wounds a little bit and, and feel sad and feel angry and go through all the different emotions, you know, hopefully with with help, you know, because some breakups are so emotionally catastrophic that you really do need help, someone to help you kind of process your grief. Right. And some of these breakups were inevitable based on you know, kind of like some of the same themes of the conversations we've been talking about where you end up meeting somebody that and you have some non-negotiables and you end up like getting emotionally connected to them in some way or you have some chemistry or whatever you want to, whatever you call it in that moment. And then you end up like sacrificing your non-negotiables and they end up like costing you like long-term because, you know, the non-negotiables are non-negotiables and eventually you're going to get to a point where you're like, man, like, what am I doing? Like, wait a second. Along those same lines, what you see a lot of as well is that somebody, how does somebody truly know if like somebody that they're communicating with is, is actually interested in them. Because I think what you'll see is people will continue to put their best foot forward. They'll try to like convince this person to be in a relationship with them or try to impress them to like maybe get them to show a sign of affection or whatever. Like, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> it's funny because every, you know, men have a different perspective and women have a different perspective of that, you know? So how do you know someone is into you? It really just depends on who I'm talking to, but Basically, generally speaking, that person wants to spend time with you. They want to connect with you. They want to call you. They want to see you, period. Like if they're not actually showing interest in wanting to spend time with you and spend more time with you as the weeks progress, they're not that into you. Like, how do you know they're interested in you romantically and they're not just putting you in the friend zone? And, and Okay, okay. Are you asking, are you asking for a friend? <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm just curious. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> if you're being put in the friend zone, someone obviously likes you, but you can feel that they're not sexually attracted to you. And that's energetic. You can just tell by the way they look at you. They can tell, you can tell by their body language, if they're touching you a lot and whatnot. So if you're being friend zoned, you're not getting any romantic vibes from them. But someone who's just interested in you sexually, but doesn't really have an interest in you beyond that, yeah, they'll hit you up to hang out because they're lonely or they wanna have sex or whatnot, but they're not actively interested in knowing more about you. And actually, if you're being friend zoned, 
that person is not really, they want to hang out with you, but they're not really interested in getting to know you very deeply. They're not asking you questions. They're not curious about you in a way that a friend would be. Right. Okay. That makes sense because I think- Does that clarify? That does clarify because I think sometimes those two things can maybe be mixed when people are starting to get to, to know each other. And like you have two people that maybe you're just trying to figure out what they want as far as dating and relationship. And you're like, oh, this seems cool. I can just spend some time with them while I'm waiting to like meet somebody that I'm actually attracted to. Exactly. So, so if you're someone who prefers to be pursued, you feel clearly pursued. That person is wanting to make plans with you. They are wanting to do nice things for you, but not just, I'm not talking about love bombing. It's like, they actually want to know more about you. Like they're just really interested in you. If you're someone who likes to pursue, the person you're pursuing is very, very receptive to your advances. What are your thoughts on chivalry? Like along those same lines, what are your thoughts on chivalry? I mean, I personally love it, but I'm a heterosexual woman. So I love, and you know, I'm of a generation that likes chivalry. I love chivalry. Now, you're not going to have my heart just because you're chivalrous, because there's more, I need to know more, but you're certainly not going to get a second date if you're not chivalrous. Like I really, but this is so personal. Like, yeah, open the door for me. I like that. I love that. You know, like if we're exiting a room and you allow me, not just me, but any woman to go first. I love that. And I have like one of a really good friend of mine is a gay guy. And he's so chivalrous to every woman. He always, I, I love that, you know, and he does that with his partners. That's just him. So it's personal. Not everyone is like, puts such a high value on it. I just really value it. I find it very attractive. And I think it's important that if you're somebody who values chivalry and then you're the person that you're dating doesn't, there's probably going to be some sort of problem, right? Because you're somebody that like wants to kind of lead and take care and nurture and stuff like that. And then if that person isn't receptive to that, I'm sure that would potentially cause some problems. It won't nurture the attraction between the two people. That makes sense. And so staying on this theme of like making sure that you know, people are aligned with their values and like kind of what they want and the relationship, like how does somebody not lose them, begin to lose themselves to the point where it becomes unhealthy when they're in a relationship. You talked about the importance of putting yourself out there and losing yourself a bit to other people, but there's so many people that become codependent and they end up you know, losing themselves completely just for the sake of staying in a relationship. Yeah, they do. I've touched on sort of like these universal relationship conundrums and balancing independence with dependence. And I know interdependence is a very popular word, but I just like to think of it as balancing togetherness and separateness and independence and dependence is one of those conundrums. And it doesn't look the same for every couple. Like some couples actually do okay with a little bit more dependence and some couples do better with a little bit of independence and or togetherness and closeness. But we're always, I mean, this is like, you know, the great ancient poets have been talking about this. Ancient spiritual leaders talk about this idea of like, there's no formula of how much closeness is healthy and how much separateness is healthy. It's something that we are constantly having to navigate in a relationship. But overall, what you want to do is that you want I believe that you want to feel like you can completely lean on your partner and they have your back. But 
happiness is an inside job. Your partner, I think a healthy expectation of someone that you're in a relationship with is that they want to make your road easier to walk. And that the expect healthy expectation of yourself is that you want to make the road easier for your partner, but you can't walk that path for your partner and they can't walk it for you. You have to take care of your mental health. You have to take care of your physical health. You have to have other outlets in your life that give you happiness, not just the relationship and not just your partner. And kind of like to take that one step further I think I've heard you talk about that. Like you don't have to have every single thing in common with your partner. Like you don't, just because you like certain things doesn't mean they have to like everything that you like. No, that'd be boring. <laughs> yeah. And there's this, this theme, I think online a lot that you have to essentially just practice total self-love and you have to look after yourself like all the time. And I think as we've talked about that, there is some level of importance to that, but where's like the balance between being selfish and then being selfless to do some things, you know, that you might not want to do, but you have to do for your partner. If you want to be in a relationship, it's not about you anymore. We've all known that person who's too selfish to be in a relationship. And maybe you've even, people have even identified with going through a phase in their life where they're too selfish to be in a relationship. When you're in a relationship, you want to make that relationship extraordinary. Their needs have to be as important to you as your own needs. You have two people doing that for each other and it's kind of extraordinary. Yes, you have to work on loving yourself, but that doesn't mean that you don't fall apart and sometimes because life is hard and your partner isn't there to kind of help you pick up the pieces. I mean, we're never going to love ourselves 100%. There's two camps. You don't have to love yourself at all to be in a healthy relationship or in a relationship at all, or you have to completely love yourself to be in a relationship. Both are not true and both are true. It's not or, it's and, you know? I mean... If you hate yourself, guess what? You're not going to have good relationships because you're going to keep choosing people who show you hate and you're going to tolerate terrible behavior. But we also learn to love who we are more when we're with someone who loves us. And we're not going to always have it all together. And we need to be able to lean on our partner once in a while. I mean, we're going to feel extremely vulnerable and weak sometimes in life. And I think that the whole point of being in a partnership is to have someone who's consistently there to help you pick up the pieces when life gets really difficult for you. But we also have a responsibility to take care of ourselves so we're not just showing up to the relationship, a shell of who we are, expecting the relationship and the other person to fix us. That's another balance. You know, there are people who are like, well, I have to just work on myself. I can't tell my partner what I'm going through. No, that's it. You have to tell them. You have to be vulnerable. Listen, you know what's an act of, of real self-love and self-confidence in a relationship? Having the courage to admit when you're not okay, when you're having a really hard time, not just having a hard time in the relationship, just having a hard time in life. I'm not good today. That's different than every day you're not okay and every day you're struggling with your mental health and you're not doing anything about it and expecting your partner to do everything about it so it's two different opposite ends of the spectrum and then building off of that this is something that i've struggled with in the past i mean i've gotten a lot better is like i'm a fixer right so when somebody would come to me with a problem i would just give my advice and then like 
I've been getting yelled at even more. And I'm like, what am I, like, I'm just trying to help. Like, you know, what did I do? And obviously that's the what men, Because that's what men do. They like to fix problems. They like to solve problems. Yeah. And the, and, the old, and the older I've gotten and the more I've learned, I've realized that sometimes you just need to just shut up and listen, right? However, there's certain times where I think maybe your partner wants some level of advice because they trust you. So do you think that it's up to the partner to, to say, hey, listen, I'm having a really hard time. Like I'm super stressed out at work. My boss, this and this and that. I'm just looking for some advice right now, or I'm just looking for you to listen to me. Do you think it's up to the person who's like communicating with their partner to kind of tell them what they need? I think it's up to both. I think it's up to both. If they don't say that, then you can say, do you just need a hug right now? Or would you like some advice? Do you want to just vent for a little bit and I'll just be here? Or would you like some input? And then I would say also to the other person, coach your partner, tell them what you need in that moment. I just need a hug. I just need you to listen. I know you love to fix things, but really what's going to fix this is you just telling me everything's going to be okay. That's something that I've gotten better at where now if somebody's coming to me, even if it's just like a friend, I'm like, hey, do you want my advice? You want me just to sit here and listen? It's good. Bravo. Because sometimes, sometimes I put my foot in my mouth where I give them advice and then like I don't know the whole situation and then they'll tell me something. I was like, I was like ooh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Last question I have for you is this, is that we talked about like how to know if, if somebody's interested in you and how to know that they might be interested in pursuing some sort of relationship. One of the other problems I think people have earlier on in a relationship, or sometimes this could last for a period of time, is they have something, they're in something that's kind of casual that they want to be more long-term, more of a commitment. How can somebody make sure that they are honoring themselves and not staying in something too casual for too long that they end up, you know, not getting into that committed relationship that they want. Stop doing it. Speak up. Speak up. You know, like if you're feeling like someone is just giving you crumbs or you're just sort of a convenience for them or like cuz people will do that and they're not most of the time they're not meaning to hurt you. They're not meaning to screw you over. They're not meaning to give you crumbs. They're just getting away with it because they think cuz you're acting like it's okay. So you have to speak up, but most people are like, uh, I don't, I would rather just keep it as it is because I don't want to go back to that lonely place. Well, let me tell you something. It is way lonelier and way more dramatic to stay in something that isn't right for you than to face your loneliness. And so I think that people sometimes are this is really common. They get really bored. They're really bored. And so let's say they'll get into like an on again, off again relationship or a relationship that's sort of a, you know, the popular word these days is situationship. They're in this situationship because they're bored. They're bored and they're lonely. And so they tolerate something that is not, we're doing this all the time. I mean, we tolerate stuff all the time that's not what we say we want or what we say we value, right? And so much of living in integrity with ourselves is to look at our lives holistically and be like, okay, what am, am I living in accordance to what I really want or am I living in accordance to fear of something else? So that's what it is to live in integrity. So boredom and loneliness is one of the two reasons that is mostly overlooked why people stay in situationships, to which I would say you have to get more committed to the kind of relationship that you want and you have to be brave. It takes so much courage, but where people are bouncing against their belief system all the time and their fears all the time. And that's what keeps them in stuff. And I just, I 
through my platform, through the coaching that I do, through the courses. It's like, I just want to empower you to, to walk, to be brave and to not tolerate that if that's not what you want. It's such a beautiful place for us to end our conversation because like you said, it all comes down to self-awareness. It comes down to getting to know yourself. It comes down to self-trust, self-love, and then also having the courage to speak up and communicate for what you want in that relationship and what you want in your life. So Jillian, this has been absolutely incredible. I think the audience is going to get so much value out of this. And with that said, if they want to connect with you, if they want to listen to your podcast, if they want to check out your courses, like where's the best place to do that? So you can go to my Instagram, which is at Jillian Tarecki, also on TikTok, but I would go to Instagram first. And JillianTarecki.com is my website where you can learn all about my courses and whatnot. And my podcast is called Jillian on Love, and you can get that wherever you listen to your podcast. So basically, if you know the correct spelling of my name, you will find me. (laughs) You will find me. Yeah. I will make sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Jillian said about getting to know yourself or the importance of self-trust and and self-love. Maybe it was something that she said about communication when you're unhappy in a relationship or knowing when to walk away. Maybe it was something that she said about co-regulation or how not to lose yourself in a relationship. Whatever it was, share your takeaway and tag Jillian, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.